Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you here this morning. We're excited to be here going through the book of Hebrews. We're in part seven, and we've entitled this series, Jesus is Greater, because Jesus is greater than anything you're facing today. I don't care what it is. I don't care what your problem is, what help you need. He's greater than what you're facing today. And that's really the theme of the book of Hebrews. We're in part seven. We'll be in chapter four in just a little bit. But we find our theme in chapter one where we read, this shows that the Son is far greater than the angels just as the name God gave Him is greater than their names. That's what this book is about. It's about the greatness of Jesus, the superiority and the majesty of Jesus. And we'll be in the latter part. We'll be concluding chapter 4 today. And in this chapter, we've entitled this message, A Greater Access. A Greater Access that we have through Jesus. Have you ever had VIP access? You know, backstage passes. You ever been to a concert or to an event where you had special VIP treatment? You ever had that? Some years ago, I attended a leadership conference for ministry leaders in Atlanta called Catalyst. And it was so good uh, and there was like, there was like 10,000 people there from all over the world. And I thought, man, I got to tell my, my pastor buddies back in North Carolina. So when I came back, uh, I was able to get about 50 pastors who said, yeah, we want to go next year. And so I contacted uh, the Catalyst leadership and they, they assigned me a concierge. Hey, you know, they spoke French to me over the telephone, you know. Hey, hey, we'll, if you're going to bring 50 people, we'll give you your own concierge. Not only that, we're going to give you VIP lanyards so you don't have to wait in line. You, you can come in. We're going to save you seats on the floor in front of the platform. I was like, okay, okay. And, and, and you know what else? We're going to let you have access to the green room where the band and the, and the speakers gather with free snacks. I was like, this is the best ever. All, all, I, all I have to do is bring 50 pastors and I get these lanes. It was just the best. It was one of the best uh, events I ever attended. Uh, no waiting lines, no fighting for seats, free snacks. It was the best. All I needed was to know somebody that would let me have that kind of access. I guess we all want special treatment, don't we? We all want to be special. We want access, we, especially to something or someone that we value, something important. Uh, we want to go backstage. Uh, we want to see how, how things really work. We want seats with the team at courtside. That, that's what we want. We want to be treated special with, with I guess, access. And I, I suppose at the deepest level, it's a desire to know and be known. That, um, that we want to be in the thick of it. We don't want to be left out. Perhaps it's something that God put in us, this this desire to be connected to Him. I, I wonder today, how's that going? How's your relationship with God today? And if I were to ask you on a scale of one to five, with five meaning we're just like this, me and Jesus, we're close. Or one, yeah, I know Him, but we haven't been talking much lately. We're not. And this message is what it's really about today, that you don't have to stay out there in the cold. You don't have to stay distant. You've been invited, you've been offered VIP access through Jesus. You can draw near. You've been invited before the throne of grace. 
That's what this message is about. We're in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And this book is entitled Hebrews because the author is addressing this really to Jewish background believers. These were, these were formerly uh, Jews who were coming to faith in Jesus, but they're trying to work out what that means. They've got their Judaism. They've got, they've got our Old Testament. They've got the Hebrew Bible. But they can't quite figure out all the details of how Jesus fits in. Fits in, And so it seems to be that the author of Hebrews is helping them understand that Jesus is actually greater than everything they've been taught up until now because he's the fulfillment of all. He's greater than the angels. He's got the greatest name. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. We learned this last week. He's, he's greater than the Sabbath because he is our Sabbath rest. And now we come to this transitional kind of place in the book of Hebrews where he's introducing us to this idea that he's the great high priest. And because of that, we have this greater access through him. And I believe today the, the text will give us three right responses to this great access we have in Jesus. And so let's unpack it today. We'll be looking at these three verses so power-packed with such grace today. Let's... Uh, Let's read together, and then we'll unpack it together. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is God's Word. Amen. We're looking for three right responses since we have this great access to God in Jesus. Here's the first response. Let us hold fast to our confession of Jesus as Lord. Let us hold fast, let us cling to this great confession that we have in Jesus. Notice the text begins in verse 14 with since then, literally uh, seeing then, understanding, basically everything that he said up to now, let us now turn to this idea of him being the great high priest. This would have had so much meaning for the Jewish background believer. This might not have as much meaning for us today, but hang with me today and I think you'll get it. I think you'll get it. Because he's using language to help these Hebrew background believers. And if you will, he's using language to help us to know how to read the Old Testament. Because sometimes we don't know how to read the Old Testament. I have people come to me sometimes and they say, I started reading with you at the beginning of the year, this one-year Bible thing, and, and that God in the Old Testament, I don't know if I recognize him. And it's because... We need to read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And primarily, we need to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. And the book of Hebrews might be the most helpful book in the New Testament to help you to know how to look for Jesus on every page of the Old Testament. And now he's going to, tell, he's going to direct our attention to the, to the ministry of the high priest, which is a Jewish ministry. It's in the Old Testament. And he's going to give it new meaning. He's going to show us. He goes, seeing therefore we have a great high priest. Now Aaron, the brother of Moses, was never called the great high priest. He was called the high priest. But this Jesus is the greatest. He's the great high priest. And the word is interesting in Greek. I like this word. It's megas. It's where we get the word mega. He's the mega high priest. 
Mega meaning uh, great, wonderful, uh, uh, in quantity and in, and in quality, in virtue and authority, of scale, greatness. He's the high priest. And then notice these details about him. He says he's the high priest who has passed through the heavens. That's unusual language. What's that mean? He's passed, like, like a shooting star? Like, what's that? He, like Jesus has passed through the heavens. Now remember, put yourself in the background of a Jewish background believer. How would they read this? Here's how they would read this. He's a high priest. Once a year, the high priest would pass through the curtain, through the veil, separating the holy place from the holy of holies. Once a year only, he was allowed, and only the high priest, he was the only one allowed. He had to be in the line of Aaron, and he could only go on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, one day on the calendar, and he could, go, he could pass through the veil and approach the mercy seat, the throne, and, and then he better have the blood of the Lamb because he shouldn't be back there without the blood, so he comes back with the blood and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat. That's what they would know. The minute they read this, they would go, wait a minute. He doesn't pass through the tabernacle. He doesn't pass through that man-made temple. He pulls back the curtain that separates heaven and earth. He's the great high priest. He's the mega high priest. He's the only one. This is only a type. This is only a symbol. This, this high priest, it was only a foreshadowing of the one to come. He's the great high priest. He doesn't pass beyond uh, the curtain in the Holy of Holies. No, he pulls back the curtain into God's very throne room. He passes through the heavens. That's who this is. This is the great high priest. Make no mistake about who this is. We find more revelation about this in the book of Hebrews as we continue. Uh, look what he says in Hebrews chapter 9. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into hev heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year, that's Yom Kippur that I was talking about, the annual time he would enter, with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, once for all, at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the high priest in, the, uh, in, in Aaron's line, he would come in with the blood of the lamb. And then only once a year. But now this Jesus, he's done it once for all. And the blood of the lamb that he brought was his own blood because he is the lamb of God. Verse 14 speaks of the divinity of Christ. Here's why he's the greatest. It's because he's, he's the only one that can pass into the very throne room of God. He's the only one that can pass through that veil. You remember when Jesus was crucified, the, his last words were, were, it is finished. In the Greek, tetelestai. In other words, paid in full. And, and there was an earthquake, the, the gospel writers report. And, and when the earthquake took place, that the temple curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies was rent. It was tore down the middle, uh, showing that that is no longer the way you reach God. That way's been brought open he's high and holy he's the great high priest he's jesus let's be clear let's make sure we name him he's jesus whose name means god's salvation yeshua god's salvation he's the son of god that's that's what we learn in verse 14 
Verse 14 is, is power-packed with information. He's the only one that could pass through the heavens into the Holy of Holies before the very throne room of God on our behalf, carrying His own blood to the real mercy seat, not the copy. This is who we praise today. This is who we worship. This is who we follow. And we are to hold fast to that confession. To cling to it. To take hold of it. To seize it. This confession of our faith. And what is the confession of our faith? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not church membership. Church membership won't get it done. It's not religion. It's a relationship with this Jesus. He's the great high priest. He's the Son of God. And so that's our, that's our confession of faith. And so we cling to that, which is to cling to Jesus. I don't cling to church membership. I don't cling to the, the fact that I'm a pastor of a church. I don't cling to that. I don't cling to my reputation. I cling to Jesus. And better than that, He clings to me. He hangs on to me. Because sometimes I lose my grip. Let us therefore hold fast. Because sometimes you, you waver. But He never wavers. You know why? He's the Son of God. He's passed through the heavens on our behalf. That's who He is. What is this confession? The Apostle Paul helps us with this in Romans 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, He's the boss, He's the CEO of your life. Give Him the car keys. Let Him drive. No more of this, um, these bumper stickers. I need to check the parking lot again. I haven't done that in a while. No more God is my co-pilot. That's heresy. You know, get out of the driver's seat. Give it to Jesus. Climb in the trunk if you need to, but get out of the driver's seat. <laughs> Confess that Jesus is Lord, and then believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. This is the confession of our faith. Then you will be saved. You believe that, that He died on the cross, He was buried, and three days later He was raised, and He's ascended to the Father. He's the Son of God. This is our confession. Hang on to it. Hold it fast. Get a grip on it. When I was a little boy, um, my father, he was, a, he was a department manager at Sears and Roebuck. It was back in the days when, when all the Sears stores, and all the stores, in fact, were in, they were downtown. There were no malls in those days. And Sears was like a four-story building. It was huge. Downtown Bristol. My dad was the manager of the furniture department. He was wore a suit and tie to work every day. My mom would take me sometimes, and I would go run into my dad, and, and, and I'd be like, Dad, can we ride the elevator? And he would let me push the button. We'd go up the third floor. Third floor was employees only. We'd go to third floor, and we'd have to pass through this office area where there are all these cubicles with these, these glass cubicles and all these ladies at typewriters. There were no computers in those days, and, and Sears was like the first company that had a a revolving credit department. And so they, all these people in there are taking notes on how much we owed them, right? <laughs> and, that, and I'm walking through, and I'd be holding my daddy's hand, and these ladies would look up, and my dad's name was Claude. They'd say, Claude, that's your boy. There's no doubt. That boy looks just like you. And I'd be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm up in here where I'm, I'm in the office area of Sears and Roebuck. People don't know about this. Holding my dad's hand. And we go to the back where the break room was, and they had stuff to, they had snacks, and everything was like dirt cheap back there, you know. You know, a nickel for this and a dime for that. 
and, and Dad, you want a candy bar and, 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 and a, something to drink? I'd be, you better believe it, you know. And I'd be sitting there with my dad in the break room. You know how I got in there? I was too little to be in there, and I, did, I wasn't employed. I couldn't go in there on my own. But look, I could get on the elevator and push the button because I was holding my daddy's hand. And he worked there. I was there because of him. I had access because of him. As long as I held on to his hand, I could walk right through the office area, right into the employee break area and get those discounts, man. They had good stuff back there. Some stuff was free. They had free stuff back in there, too. The Jewish high priest was only allowed to go in one day, and that was uh, one day a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And he was the only one allowed to go beyond the veil. The other priests, the other Levite priests, they could go into the Holy of Holies. They could go in there and attend to the, the golden lampstand. They could make sure the 12 loaves of bread were on the, uh, were on the, the table of presence. They could make sure that uh, uh, the... The incense burn uh, was being burned on the table of incense, but they couldn't go behind that curtain. Only the high priest, and he better have the blood when he went, and it better be the right day. But here's what I want you to know now. When you hold fast to Jesus, the curtain has been opened. It's open now 24-7. You can go in there 24-7. And it don't matter who you are as long as you're holding his hand. All that matters is who he is. Because he is the one who has passed through the heavens. He is Jesus, the Son of God. That's who he is. And if you know him, if you're holding his hand, you can enter too. Which leads us to the second right response. We, we can hold fast to our confession. The second is to consider the sympathy Jesus has for us. Let us consider the sympathy, the understanding that he has for us. We're in verse 15 now. And verse 15 is really explaining something to us. Because verse 14 explains to us why he's so great. It's because he's the Son of God and he's divine and he's the only one that can pass through the veil of heaven from the seen to the unseen, from the copy to the reality. He's the only one. But now he's going to make the point that he really wouldn't be qualified to be a high priest at all if he weren't also human. He has to be fully human. Or he can't represent us. And so 15 addresses that. And, and, and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize. Yeah, he's high and holy. He's transcendent. He's the Son of God. But he's, this, he's the God who became one of us. He's, he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Sympatheo in the Greek. That's where we get the word sympathize. It comes straight from the Greek language. Sum means together with. Patheo has that. We, we use that word in so many contexts. Empathy, sympathy. It has the idea of deep feeling. Sometimes it has, it alludes to the idea of suffering even, or heat. Uh, he feels it together. Uh, the KJV says that he was touched with the feeling of our weakness. He's been touched. He sympathizes. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're saying, I, no one understands me. They don't, know, they don't know what I'm going through. I'm hurting. And you're going through something. And you, and you try to tell your family, you try to tell your friends about it, and they offer you the best they can. They offer you cliches. And some of the cliches, they have good intentions. You know, let go and let God trust. 
I'm praying for you. And it just falls. It just falls on idle ears. You can't hear it. It's like nobody understands what I'm going through. Is that you? There's one. He, he fully sympathizes. He, he's been touched with the compassion for you that's beyond any that you could ever consider. I don't think we fully understand. We can't sympathize with what he went through because we can't sympathize with what it was like to let go, to let go of, of his claim as being the, the Son of God and to lower himself, as Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. Who, who, who did not equality with God consider that something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a man and humbled himself so that he, he died, even on a cross, and became a curse. I don't think we can grasp what it must have been like to grow up and, and to let go of what he let go of and to take on our situation. We might not be able to sympathize with him, but boy, he sympathizes with us. He even knows what it feels like to be tempted by sin, it says. Did you see that? He's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect... How many, how many places can he relate to us? In every respect, he's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin points back to his divinity, but that he's got the same weaknesses in his humanity, that he's been tempted as we are, that, that's us. That's how he relates to us. He understands us. There's one who understands us. I was trying to think about what temptation would be like if you never gave in. Because when you give in, it, it hurts, but it releases the pressure of it. Temptation's like a pressure. And I was trying to visualize that, and I, I thought like if you inflated a balloon or some sort of float, and you try to press it down underwater, the pressure will cause it to actually shrink. And if, if, you, can, if you can tie it to, to a heavy weight and keep pulling it down, it'll keep, keep, and it'll finally burst because the pressure on the outside wants to get on the inside. And once it gets on the inside, there's no more pressure like that. And so the, 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 one, the, the thing that would resist the pressure the most would have the most pressure against it. Y'all follow me with this? So the one who continually says no to temptation, the pressure is greater than the one who says yes to temptation because that releases it. Here's what I'm trying to say. He was tempted as we are, yet beyond anything we've ever understood, yet without sin. He understands. He understands your temptation. You know what we'll do sometimes as believers? I'm talking to believers now. We'll fall into a sin area, and it's, it's often that sin area that's repetitive for us, that, that keeps on getting us. We, we've overcome this temptation and that temptation, but this one we keep falling for. And now we, we're afraid to bring that one to Jesus because we're ashamed. And so instead of coming to Him with it, the one who understands, we, we hide in shame. And that's the evil one. He convinces us to do that. And that's the flesh because the flesh always hides. That's the first thing that Adam and Eve did. They hid. And so we hide. But he's the one who understands. He's been tempted in every respect, just as you have. Go to him and say, 
I fell for it again, Jesus. You're the only one that can face this without sin. Would you help me? I know you understand. I don't have to be ashamed talking to you because you've already entered. You've already gone and passed through the heavens. You've already paid for this sin, but I keep struggling with it, and I know you understand. Instead of hiding, we should run to Him. Yeah, but, it's, but it's, I've done it so many times, I can't run to Him again. Yes, you can. Because He understands. He sympathizes. The, the author of Hebrews is helping us understand why he's the great high priest. He's the great high priest because he's the son of God. He's the great high priest because he's the only one that could pass uh, into the heavens and, and pay for our sins. But he's the great high priest because he became one of us. And he understands us. And he's merciful. And he, and he, and he sympathizes. He, he wrote about this earlier in chapter 2. Do you remember? He said in chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? So they might become a merciful and high, uh, faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. In other words, to become an atonement for the sins of the people. He became one of us. No one understands me. There's one. He understands you. He even understands your temptations. He understands your deepest sin areas. He understands your deepest hurts. Consider what he went through. He... he he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and, the, and Satan came and tempted him with three different temptations. These are not uh, accidental. They're the same three temptations that you find in the book of Genesis when he, he tempted Adam and Eve. They're the same three. Adam and Eve fell, but Jesus overcame. But he was tempted just as they were. He, he was homeless. He had no place to lay his head. His family thought he was crazy and tried to break in and take him home one time. Uh, his best friends turned their back on him. His closest confidant betrayed him for pieces of silver. He endured gossip and slander. He was shamed publicly. He endured periods of hunger and of thirst. His message was rejected. His preaching was critiqued. His disciples didn't get it again and again. And he endured complete separation from the Father, crying out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken for us. Oh, don't, don't say there's no one who understands. There's one. He's your great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. He understands what you're going through. When no, else, no one else understands, he does. He understands you. And more than that, He has sympathy for you. He has compassion for you. And this leads us to the third. It leads us to verse 16. The third right response. Let us confidently draw near God's throne through Jesus. Let us confidently draw near God's throne through Jesus. We're at verse 16. Let us draw near with confidence. This word confidence has the idea of freedom. To come freely. Some translations say boldly. Like I said, 24-7, you have freedom. You don't have to wait for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. You can come every day, any, any hour of the day. You can come with confidence. You don't, have to come, you don't have to back up to the door. Just reach out your hand and hold fast to the hand of Jesus. He's already opened the door, and just let Him pull you on in. Draw near. Don't stay out there. Come on in. 
and come on in freely. You don't have to add anything to it. You couldn't add anything to it if you wanted to. He's done it all. He's the great high priest. And you can draw near. You can approach. What? What does it say? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. There's only one throne beyond that veil for those who go in with Jesus. And it's the throne of grace. Now there's another throne. There's another judgment seat for those who don't go in with Jesus. For those who haven't believed in Jesus. They've rejected his testimony. They, they don't hold fast to his testimony. They've rejected him. And for them, there's a throne of righteousness and judgment. And they will be judged based upon their works. And the Bible says that their works will fall short. For the wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't want to go to that throne. I don't want to go to that throne room. I don't have to. Because I have Jesus. I don't have to. I want to go to the throne of grace. Uh, that's all God has for me now because of Jesus. Because He's already passed through the room. He's already put His blood, His propitiation for my sin and your sin. He's already put it on the mercy seat, paid in full. All I have to do is just hold His hand and come on in. I can come in freely. I can come on in. He's done it all. He's mine and I'm His. I'm coming to the throne of grace because I heard they're giving out free stuff over there. That's what grace is. It's free. It's unmerited favor. That's all God has for you in Jesus. He's paid it all. There's free stuff over here. Now look, I'm bringing a wagon. I don't know about you. I'm coming on up in here. Come on, Lord. Help me. I need help. And He's giving it out. He's giving out grace and mercy freely. That's the throne of grace. He's pouring it out. Let your cup overflow. Come on, bring it on. Why are you hanging around out here? Take Jesus' hand. Come on in. Come on in. That's what his invitation is. Look, he goes, let us then with confidence draw near. Why are you hanging out? Come on into the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy. Forgiveness. That's all he has for us now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 He's already poured out his wrath on Jesus. There's nothing left for us. He's already judged me. Uh, in Christ so that there's no judgment left for me. There's only the throne of grace left for me and for you that believe in Jesus. There's only, there's only mercy and grace left. He's given out free stuff. Who's not going to get in line for that? And by the way, if you have the VIP pass, you don't, there's no waiting. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. If you've been looking for grace, you've been looking in the wrong place. Come on to the throne of grace. That's where they're giving it out. To help in time of need. Who, who's in a time of need right now? Who's in a time of need? You'd admit it? I need. Oh, he, he understands. He sympathizes. He says, come on. You don't have to wait. There's no waiting. I hate to wait. Don't you hate to wait? If I'm at Walmart and going through those lines, I look for the short line. I don't get in the long line. <laughs> of course, half the time, you've got you to check yourself out now, right? There. I don't know what that's about. You can come on in. 
to the throne of grace. He talks about this more later in the book. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Come on, draw near. Come on in to the throne of grace. This has always been God's plan. The whole Old Testament was just leading up to its fulfillment in Jesus. It was always God's plan. All of those sacrifices, all those, those Yom Kippurs, all those Day of Atonements, none of them would be good. They're all just like checks written on a future deposit. And the future deposit was made in Jesus, and it was paid in full on that day. He's passed through the heavens. He's taken care of it. And so now everything makes sense back here now. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. It was always God's plan. There was a famous photograph back in 1963 in the October edition of a magazine called Look. Those of you in my age group remember this big magazine. It was full of pictures. It was Facebook before there was a Facebook. It was mostly pictures with captions. There was this famous photograph that you'll probably recognize maybe for the young people in history books that you've seen. It became iconic because it was released right just days after JFK was assassinated. It was heartbreaking for Americans to see this photo because it's a photo of our president in the Oval Office with his son John Jr. playing under the Resolute desk. The Resolute desk had a little door in the front uh, where he could open and close the door. And there were several photos taken. This is one of the most famous uh, taken by photographer Alan Stanley Treddick. And, and in this particular photo, uh, Treddick describes the, the, the interchange that was going on uh, between father and son. He said that J uh, Jackie was out of town, and, and so JFK was, was giving him candy because she'd never let him have candy. He had candy. He's under the, he's under the president's desk playing with his toys. And, and it, he said that John Jr. called it his house. He would open the door and peep out. This is my house. Like that. He's playing with his toys, eating candy. I bet he was wired. <laughs> They're taking photos. Now look, you can visit the White House. You're, you know, you're, a, you're an American citizen. You can visit, but they won't let you in the Oval Office. You can try. You'll end up in jail, but you can try. You can't just go in there. That, that part's closed off. You can't just go in. There's no access for you into the Oval Office. You're only invited by appointment. But now if you're the son of the president, you can play under the desk. If you're the son of the president, you can play under the desk. You can call it your house if you're the son of the president. And if you know the Son of God, if you know Jesus, if you, if you take his hand and hold firmly... Hold fast to your confession of faith in Him. He'll lead you right into the throne of grace. Anytime. You have access through Jesus. Do you get it? Do you get it? Good. I had to wait. We can confidently, freely, Climb under the desk. What? What grace? 
So wonderful. Will you hold, hold fast to the confession? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Would you do it today? Would you take his hand? He's reaching his hand out. Would you take his hand? Would you see that he understands? He's the Son of God, but he became human for us. He is both God and man. There's no one else like him. He's the greatest. And he's the only access to the Father. And would you, would you come on in? and Come out of the cold. Come on in. You can have access to the Father's throne of grace. My mother used to sing this song. It was perhaps the song that she was most well known for. And when we would travel from church to church as I was growing up, she was a well-known gospel singer. This was an often requested song. It was, it was a hymn written by Tommy Dorsey. He was an African-American uh, uh, beautiful songwriter, and he wrote so many beautiful spiritual songs. He wrote this song in 1932. I can still hear my mama's voice. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When my way groweth drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life seems almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand, lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. He's the greatest. He's the only one. If you know Him, you get to go to the throne of grace. Let's pray. Let's talk to Him right now. Lord, there might be someone here today. Is it you, my friend? You've never answered the invitation. Jesus is standing at the door knocking at, at your heart's door right now. He's a gentleman. He won't kick it in. You have to open it. He wants to take you by the hand. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? Have you ever done that? Have you ever surrendered your life? You can do it right now. Prayer is just, it's just talking to God and it's expressing your faith. You can pray with me right now. Right in your seat. Pray like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I believe you died on the cross for me, for my sin. I believe you were raised from the grave and that you live today. Come and live in me. I invite you. I declare you as Lord of my life. Come and forgive me of my sin and make me the person you want me to be. Come on in, Lord. I give my life to you. And if you're praying that prayer of faith, believing, the Bible says you'll be saved and you'll be adopted into God's family. You'll be a child of God. You can come to the throne of grace. You can draw near. Others are here, and you have a relationship with Jesus, and, and you've trusted your life to Him. And, but for some reason, maybe you know what the reason is, or maybe you don't. You feel distant. You feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Like you've been, where's God? You've been asking that, where's God? You believe in Him. You don't doubt His existence, but you don't feel close right now. Is that you? 
You've got access. Draw near. Right now, just say, Lord, I come near to You. I'm leaning into You. I, I need access right now, Lord Jesus. I know You understand. And just pour it out to Him. Tell Him what it is. Lord, forgive us for trying to do things on our own. We draw near to You right now. We hold fast to our confession and belief in You. We come near to that throne of grace. Lord, help us in our time of need. In Jesus' name, Amen.